Hello and welcome to the Wavemakers podcast. I'm Tamara Khan and I'm here hoping to be your monthly guide on this journey to the blue frontier. The blue frontier, this uncharted area of ocean and water technology. I know there's a lot of policy-minded listeners here on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, so I'm going to paraphrase JFK as he spoke about his new frontier. This blue frontier includes science and space and unsolved problems and challenges. So I hereby invite you aboard this fantastic platform generously provided by ASPN as we explore tech solutions emerging to tackle some of the challenges our ocean and water resources are facing and to celebrate the people who are shaking up the norm or one might say making waves by bringing these technologies to the forefront. A tiny bit about me, I'm an ocean lover. I've been working with cutting edge ocean technology since the outset of my career. I've worked at sea in multiple countries and in recent roles and my consulting as Lady Blue Tech, I've had the pleasure of working with some real trailblazers in ocean and water technology, from robotics to seaweed and renewable energies and so much more. I'm really excited to sit down and introduce them and their efforts to you. The purpose of this podcast is really to take a more positive look at where we are with these ocean and water challenges and the technologies that are emerging to solve the challenges. I know we all hear a lot about issues of overwhelming plastic in our oceans and the water systems and carbon emissions and strains on our resources and on our economies. And with all these, all the dismal things going on in the world at the moment, I welcome you to tune in as we connect with dynamic people who are taking an optimistic and intelligent and rather courageous approach to dealing with, with the issues that are facing us. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Find them at LJA.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at CoastalNewsToday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at Chloe at CoastalNewsToday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at CoastalNewsToday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. I'm really excited to kick off this series by talking with a friend. A dynamic person who has navigated life with a sense of adventure and risk-taking and fun and now finds himself the CEO of a very innovative company doing, among other things, some pretty neat repurposing or, dare I say, upcycling of plastics. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Jim Mullen, CEO of Free, Free Foam Inc., the company responsible for Arctic foam and Earthwise sorbents. Hi, Jim. Hello, how are you? I'm great, thank you. So psyched to have you here. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Yeah, I'm really pumped. You know, I love I love speaking with you. Uh, you're always inspiring, and um, I'm glad you're doing this. I think it's important, and I think, uh, you know, the listeners are going to love what you have to bring to the table. <laughs> Thanks. Hopefully. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. I'm so excited to like have people like you to talk to. And 
I, I want to give you the opportunity to, I, I know all about your background and how you got to this place with, um, with Earthwise, which is our main focus for today. But please tell a little bit about where you came from and your love of the ocean. How, how did you end up in this position? Hmm. Uh, you know, I've been a sports enthusiast my whole life. Um, I was introduced to surfing at 13 years old, and um, so I have surfed for 30 years. I've surfed around the world. Um, I've surfed waves of 30 to 40 feet. Um, I've skated. I've played soccer. I've played martial arts, and I'm a musician. Uh, today I have two young boys, Dane, 14, Ledger, 12, and uh, a lovely wife, Renee. And uh, I reside in Cardiff by the sea, California. Um, I've always been a lover of the ocean. Uh, I love scuba diving in warm water, not cold water, not into that. And, um, you know, it's something that's been embedded in me, I, I think, from day one, that I'm a lover of animals, I'm a lover of the ocean, and, you know, with the onset of having children and, and you know, and their love of surfing, uh, I take my kids surfing before school pretty much every morning. Um, wow. I, you know, I want to leave the, I want to try to leave the world a little bit better place while I'm here. And uh, really that's one of my driving goals when I look at all the children and I go to the school and watch my sons play soccer I'm like man I want to give them the opportunity that I had in life and you know if I could do something for the world that makes it a little bit better place well then I've you know done a good job you have done a good job Jimmy I mean I whenever we talk I I since leaving California I'm here in Austin going to all these music shows and I love getting to talk to you about that and you'll always come back with oh I, I played with them <laughs> so yeah i've been really uh damn lucky in my life uh i'm still alive which is a miracle uh, my parents will tell you my brothers and sisters <laughs> and i've been fortunate enough to play with some of the most amazing musicians i'm not that good of a musician but they like me for some reason and uh and uh you know i love playing drums i'm still playing today and um you know, it just fires you up. It's, it's life. So along with that passion for, you know, leaving the future better than you found the present, do, do you feel like that um, risk-taking surfer side of you and that musician just loving to hang out with and jam with people, has that contributed to you being the CEO? Yes. You have to be crazy to be a CEO. <laughs> um uh, it's not as fun as most people think. Uh, most people think, wow, you're the CEO. And, and you know, I'm just part of a team, honestly. Um, my two partners, um, I think, work harder than I do. Um, they're amazing. Um, I have people all around me that are incredible. Um, I'm a little – I take risks. And, and it's because of those risks I think I sit in the seat that I am. Um, and I like to shake things up and I like to move and groove. And, um, I think the best attribute that I have is finding great people, um, to really help me with many of the weaknesses I have. My father once told me, Jimmy, you gotta, you gotta put everything into your strengths and manage your weaknesses. 
And uh, with that being said, I look for great talent and people I get along with and people that want to want to make our our businesses successful that's i mean the perfect mindset to have it takes a village to to make anything a success so why don't you you have children (laughs) only toledo (laughs) i'm sure you know parenting probably comes into to company building and and team building a lot i can imagine so oh that's crazier than being a ceo trust me (laughs) ceo is easy (laughs) well tell us a little bit about um your role in this you know tackling what's going on in the world today what what, tell it well i guess you could start with arctic foam and or you know talk about that success and what's going on with that side of the company yeah so uh, Arctic Foam, uh, we make the surfboard foam for all the major, most of the major manufacturers in the world globally. Um, we're touted as being the, the top foam uh, manufacturer in the world. Uh, the four Olympians were on our foam. The world champions for the last, I don't know, five, six years have been on our foam. I'm very blessed. It's been around for 16 years, and my my partner, Andrew Jakubowski, founded it 16 years. My other partner, Marty Gilchrist, who's like a living surf legend, he invented the wetsuit, the front zip wetsuit that almost everyone wears when he was with Rip Curl. Um, They actually run the business, and um, they needed some help and uh, to really take it to the next step. Um, and I had just come back from Costa Rica on a very large project for 10 years and Marty found me and I just happened to live up the street from um, in an old farmhouse um, in Cardiff by the sea like a block and a half away from him and we just sat down and talked and he said Jimmy come in and help me you know and um, and one of the things that really excited me, one, it wasn't clothing, I wouldn't touch, but two, it was the core of the industry, right? And what most people don't know, and you, you talk about surfboard foam, surfboard foam is the hardest foam in the world to make. It's got a softer interior and a very hard edge shell on the outside. It's very, very difficult to make. We make the best in the world. But one of the things he told me about in the, in the very onset of our relationship back together again was that he was working on a bio formula for surfboard foam. And I was just like, well, what are you talking about? He said, a sustainable, high-performance surfboard foam. And right when he said that, I was in. Surfboard foam obviously is made out of polyurethane. Um, once it's broken and, and it goes to a any polyurethane, once it goes to the dump, uh, you know, it's hundreds and hundreds of years before it starts to go back to the earth, if that. Um, the other foam that is used in surfboards and, um, and really paddle boards is a foam that most people are kind of knowledgeable about. It's called EPS foam. It's the small little beaded foam. That stuff is the worst stuff on the planet. It never goes away. 
Yeah, you see that stuff broken all over the beach when you whenever you're surfing rocky beaches. Horrible stuff, and and so I try to steer people away from EPS foam. It's lighter, it floats better. That's why they use it in sups all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not better foam, um, and it's it's really horrible for the planet. We actually distribute some, but it's it's recycled polyurethane or or EPS foam. Um, but the biofoam that Marty was tracking on, uh, we spent three years with UCSD developing an algae polyol. Um, that was a little bit too volatile um, for us. Um, we couldn't really get a handle on it at the end. Um, but we went down a different path at the same time with our, uh, our factory is in Ensenada, Mexico. And our team down there is phenomenal. I love them. They're like family. I love going down there. And we have some of the smartest individuals in filmmaking in our factory. And one of them is a guy named Juan. He's been with us for 14 years. And he was like, I've got something I think we can create a polyol out of. And it's a nutshell oil. The waste from nutshells. Well, long story short, we made it. It's called Biofoam. It is the best high-performance, sustainable foam in the world. It's been shaped by the best shapers in the world. It's been ridden by some of the top pros in the world, and it comes out in 2022. And um, we're really, really excited about it, and we hope the future. We know that probably five of our largest brands and the largest brands in the world are putting it in their lineup for 2022. Wow. Jimmy, I like – I. I'm so excited about this podcast and now you've just shown me I'm so excited about your other projects you've got going on I didn't even know this was happening and that's huge a bio Man, I gotta throw a curveball at you every <laughs> once in a while tomorrow knock it out of the park that's really someone's got to keep you on your toes <laughs> did you did you when you were a professional surfer did you kind of take note of this or when when did it become apparent to you just how bad the surfboard foam was for the planet well, you know, through circles, I always knew it wasn't good for, you know, the planet. But when I was surfing all the time, I didn't care because I had so many boards and I was just traveling all the time. And um, luckily, I was paid to be an ambassador. I was never like a top contest surfer. I hated that. That wasn't my gig. Um, and But, you know, as I got older and older and older and, you know, I was involved in the rainforest and, and saving the rainforest in Costa Rica. And I just got a little bit more environmental. I turned back to some of the things that I absolutely loved, which was surfing. And, you know, I, I learned more and more about it. And then when I got involved with Arctic Home, I really learned about it, Crash Course. Um, and, um, you know, I have to say hats off to my partners, our team in, in – Mexico, I mean, everyone is just pushed. I mean, we're talking like five years in development, a million dollars of just throwing it at the door and hoping something works. You know, it's scary. It's stressful. It's been it's been a roller coaster, yeah. but we've done it. And now we're making it out of the waste of a nutshell. We're really proud of it. The shapers love it. Shapers are the guys. Everyone thinks it's the pros. No, no, no. The pros listen to the shapers. They're the men and the women. And when they tell you it's on, it's on. 
and those are the people we had to impress. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're stoked because, you know, there's, we have a local hero. Some of you might know his name, Rob Machado, good friend, love him to death, uh, lives right down the street. Um, he, you know, world-class surfer, one of the legends of the sport, his, his personal brand, the brand that he is developing on his own, um, is all bio every board. So it's a trend that's really going that direction. You're, this, yeah. this is one of my favorite reasons to talk to you. You're like a perfect story of, you know, living life and adventuring and then noticing something and caring and, and making an effort to make a change. So, um, yeah. Well, then it'll lead into the next part of this story, you exactly. know, I don't know. I mean, listen, I, <clears throat> it all sounds dreamy and stuff, but trust me, I've been through my trials and tribulations. You know, it's not easy. I'm the last one paid, you know, yep. and, um, and, you know, but I, I don't know. I think life's funner with a little risk and a little mm-hmm. go for it attitude and trying to make things better. Yeah, you know. I, I grew up with a dad who who owned his own business, and um, he actually they built pianos. And I was always like, "Why can't you be a grocer? Everybody needs groceries." But he was that was he was the one taking risks and making something and trying to make a difference and and getting paid last. So I, I yeah. feel you. Yeah, um, but so but you know I I wouldn't have it any other way. Exactly. You know? Well, now you can kind of share your your adventure with Earthwise and how that came about from, you, you mentioned your factory, surfboard factory yeah. down in Mexico. So I love your origin of, story. We have one of the largest factories in the world. And um, and this is a funny story, and Tamara and I have talked about it many a times. And, you know, sometimes accidents cause, you know, are, are kind of the catalyst for some of the best inventions in the world. And uh, it happened with us. So um, I got a call one day from my partner, Andrew, who uh, was having had to deal with a pretty large high, uh, um, oil spill in our factory, right? And it was the fluid that runs our molds. One of the hoses busted off and boom, it went all over the floor. They got a hold of that hose and clamped it off. Well, on the ground could have been 55 gallons. There was a lot of oil. It was like hydraulic machinery. Hydraulic fluid, yeah. right? So, um, and, and, and if you think about it, like what manufacturer doesn't use hydraulic fluid? Sure. And that'll, we'll come back to that in the future in this conversation. But um, anyway, to make a long story short, what if, what if, would have taken maybe four or five hours to squeegee up and clean up very thin viscosity of that fluid right it goes everywhere in a basically in a panic Andrew looked around and there was a big trash bag full of surfboard foam dust the waste of what we do and he picked up the bag and threw the dust all over (laughs) the oil and he just thought, God, if I could just stop it from going underneath the machinery and people slipping, then maybe maybe we can get it cleaned up quicker. Well, instead of it moving out from the dust, it soaked all up into the dust within minutes. 
And what would have taken four or five hours to clean up took less than an hour. Wow. So he calls me later and he tells me the whole story. And I was like, wow. This is how dumb I am sometimes. I was like, wow, that's efficient. <laughs> so we can use our waste to clean up our, our spills? That's awesome. Boom, done. Yeah. Didn't even think any more about it. I go down two weeks later. <sighs> Love going down there. Best tacos in the world. The people are amazing. Um, and he's holding up a 12 by 12 pillow, white pillow. And inside of it is foam dust. And so the guys had a big bucket prepared for me, filled up with water. This is like a big bucket, right? So they bring in two gallons exactly of dirty, dirty, dirty oil from our machine shop. We build everything in our factory custom made in our own, in our own machine shop. Every piece of machinery in there. Um, and they dump it in the water and... I don't know what's going on. And basically, Andrew says, put a glove on, take this pillow, and play around with this thing in that water. So I do that. And in 10 minutes, I've cleaned up two gallons of oil. I've wiped down the insides of the barrel. And I'm holding up a black pillow. And out of the corner, I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this. I'm not even everyone else kind of disappeared at that moment and for me it was just like it was a void and I was just in my own thing and I'm watching perfectly clear water drip back into the into the bucket and I'm stunned and I I pull the pillow down a little bit and I look over and Andrew's smiling at me and he looks at me and he goes dude you think there's a business in this <laughs> and I was like yeah, let me check into this. We could sell our waste to clean up oil and chemicals in factories and in the ocean. We could clean up the ocean with our waste. So you head down to your surfboard factory just to check on things. You've forgotten about this hydraulic fluid spill from a few weeks before. And Only. your great team down there is like, hold on, we got to show you something else. And... I mean, this sounds, the way you tell it, I always imagine like an as-seen-on-TV commercial where they spill something on the shirt and then clean it up with their new product. And Right. <laughs> so exactly. They were so pumped to show you. I mean, did you did you know anything about the sorbent industry? Did you know that? Not this, a bit. Yeah. Zero, zilch, none, nada. I didn't even know what a sorbent was. Well, now I'm like an expert in them. Perfect, because I have, I imagine very few people do ever think about sorbents and what they are, yeah. even though we use them every day, actually. But well, go ahead. Huge, and huge industry. So I go back and I start doing research for two weeks. I buy all these government reports. I start looking at this industry and I'm dumbfounded at the size. $20 billion are bought of sorbents globally. Five billion in America. Wow. Every year. And I'm like, whoa. You know, those are numbers I like. <laughs> in what kind of industries are they using these 
Oh, God. I mean, I know oil and gas. Medical to construction Uh to oil recovery, hazmat, manufacturers. It's OSHA required in in America and Canada. If you use any type of chemical in, in your manufacturing, if you're transporting chemical, Coast Guard, DOD, firefighters use it every day. Every day they go out go out and clean up, you know, accidents on the road. And soon as they know that the the people are out and they're taken care of, they have to control the substances coming out of the um, out of the car onto the road and then into the earth, right? So they they try to contain it and then they mop it up as quickly as possible with sorbents. So it's used in shipping, boating. I mean, there's there's so many industries that it's used in. It is unbelievable. And one of the biggest purchasers of it is DOD, Department of Defense. So this is, it's a safety issue. It's an environmental issue. Um, when you're using sorbents, it's anything, it, sorbents basically soak up certain substances. I mean, so... Sorbents actually are like a sponge. The best way to think about it is they're like sponges. And they they soak up, uh, like we have oil only, which is only chemical and oil. So it doesn't soak up water, right? So if you're in the ocean, if you're in a lake, if you're in a harbor, if you're in a yacht club, you got an oil spill, you don't want to soak up the water. You want to soak up only the oil, right? Because... When you get rid of that product, it has to go to hazmat, and hazmat charges you by weight and volume, right? We have another sorbent. It's called universal, and that soaks up oil and chemical. So, for instance, when you're in your grocery store and you look down underneath the um, coolers or, or the vegetable area where they have water spraying and you see these little gray like tubular socks, those are sorbents that are cleaning up the water and the chemicals so no one slips. Wow. So everyday places that you, you just don't know what you're looking for. They're, they're Every there. day. They, you know, you taught me the word oleophilic. That's, yeah. Um, so your sorbents like attract the oil and then they're hydrophobic. So they repel yeah, the Yeah. So that was one of the things we learned about polyurethane foam dust that was astounding to us. We thought we had the product that was going to change the planet, but I got schooled on that. Um, it's hydrophobic, which means it floats no matter how heavy it gets. It's illophilic, which means the actual oil and chemicals actually bind to the product. So say if you have a big, um, You've got a big oil spill, and you're and you're pulling in these big booms behind a ship, right? You don't want the oil falling back off of the boom and back into the water. You want it to attract to that big sausage-looking boom behind the ship and stay on that while it's getting cranked up into the ship to later go in the hazmat, right? Same thing if, if you're a manufacturer. If you throw it down on the ground and you're wiping up an oil spill, let's say you're in a garage or something and your car is getting fixed when you pull up that pad you don't want it to be dripping all over the place well our products are hydrophobic and illophilic and they stick and bind to our products that's a perfect example you just gave with the booms behind a ship because i know a lot of people of course saw pictures of 
um, big oil spills in 2010. They're in the Gulf of Mexico. There's these booms they set up. They're kind of like floating sausages, like you call them. Yeah. And they collect the oil and sort of scoot it in. I mean, it's hard to imagine how things like that get cleaned up. So yeah, that's it's, what you're talking it's about. It's really difficult. And, 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 you know, I always tell people we need petroleum. We need oil. Sure. The world needs it. But do we need to use it for things that aren't really, really necessary? Or can we make a better product that doesn't use petroleum to do the same job? We need petroleum, right? And so really, when it gets down to the industry and the oil industry itself, it's really about being on top of it and making sure that you are ready when things happen and you jump on it right away. It's not a blame game. It's get out there and get it done and be vigilant when it's a oil pipeline or something that burst underneath. It's boom, make it happen, get the right product out there. Hopefully it's recycled and it's earthwise product mm -hmm. and um, you know, get it cleaned up ASAP. You know, Jimmy, I, I know you you know I spent some time working on ships and I just have to share that we had um, at least two drills a month about cleaning up if there was a spill from a hydraulic machine or anything on deck, we had to stop that from getting into the water. And there were strategically placed bins around the ship with sorbents and certain cleanup materials. And as you said, like some things clean up hydraulic fluid and some things clean up, clean up other chemicals. So there, I saw that all the time. Um, and I, I love your grocery store example because I think people people know you know you're you have a spill you use a piece of paper towel and it soaks it up and and you cleaned up but this is happening all around you every day so really yeah I I think the, the other thing you're bringing to the table is how to make these sorbents out of something we already have so. so I think that was the light. I know for a fact that was the light bulb that went off on that went went you know boom in my head when I started really diving down to it. And I had a mentor in this industry who was the CEO of one of the world's largest hazmat um, companies in Brazil, who takes care of all of the oceans around Brazil. Huge company. And he actually helped out in the Gulf. He brought seven ships up to help in the Gulf. He's amazing. And he's a TMA member. Flavio is his name. And he tested our polyurethane product, our pillows. And he said, this is amazing. I love it. He goes, I can't use it in the ocean. And boom, I was hit over the head with a bat. I'm like, what? And he goes, if it bursts, then I've got two things to clean up. I've got oil and I've got dust. And if the dust gets into my skimmers, which soak in the water and the oil, and then the oil goes up to the ship into a container cargo hold, it would mess up my machines. He goes, but on land, under an engine, in my engine compartment, these, these pillows are amazing, Jimmy. And he goes, in freshwater, where I don't have sharp propellers and all kinds of stuff going on, yeah, I could use that in a harbor and stuff. He goes, but, you know, here's a pad. Here's a sorbent pad, and we buy this all day long. And here's this, you know, 
10 foot boom, eight inches wide. He goes, Jim, I use these all day long. I buy millions of dollars of this a year. He goes, if you can figure out how to make this out of recycled product, I'm in. That's, and that's a handy that person. Point, that, yeah, at that point, I, I looked at him and I was like, well, what is it? And he's all, it's polypropylene. And I was like, it's plastic? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. They're using new oil to make a sorbent to clean up an oil mess? Wait, they're making new... Wait. <laughs> You're telling me they, they use good oil to make plastic chips to make the plastic to clean up oil and chemical spills? He goes, yeah. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense to me. We need oil. We don't need it to make plastic to clean up oil and chemical spills. So we've got this expert from an environmental ocean services company. I think it's Ocean Pact. It's Flavio. Yeah, Ocean Pact. Um, awesome guy. Yeah, super. I, I mean, Rio de Janeiro is a very conscious place when it comes to this. There's a lot of rules when you bring a ship into Brazil and into their waters with with environmental consciousness in uh, at the forefront. Um, so talking to someone like that, and here he is talking to professional surfer, drummer, gun, surfboard, builder, um, and and you see this opportunity for... guy that doesn't know anything about sorbents. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I yeah. love that networking aspect of it. Just talk to people and, and bring that new perspective. So, um, Well, you know, it was through TMA. And if I wouldn't have met Michael Jones and you and many other people that have helped us in this journey that we've been on and the professionals that were afforded to me by um, the Maritime Alliance... Um, yeah, I don't know if we would be where we are today. In fact, I know we wouldn't be where we are today. So I'm super, super thankful to the Maritime Alliance, all the great people involved there, the board of directors, all the, all the people that really are about changing the world and making our oceans a healthier place. So I'm super thankful there. And yes, Flavio schooled me, and and the light bulb went off, and uh, that started us down the path to make the product which we make today. I'm with you, Jimmy. I think those industry associations where you bring them together, different people, and you know, take them out of their silos to have a conversation is one of the most important things to drive things forward. So, yeah. so here we have Earthwise Sorbens born, and um, I guess. What I'm wondering is why why can't I get this stuff already? Like we we talk a lot about you've come a long way. You've got a product. I understand you produce them in the US, is that right? So yes, we are built in America and I'm really proud to say that um you know, there's 18 million pounds of plastics that are hitting our ocean every year. There's 700 million gallons of oil going into our oceans every year there's tons and tons it's like the numbers like 85 million tons of polypropylene plastic generated every year in america there's so much poly 
propylene plastic that we can recycle and repurpose into our products, it's never going to end. Oh, right? Jimmy, and just hold on one second there because those are some daunting numbers. And I know that there's only a small percentage, like 8% is actually recycled. Of that Right. So that that's what you guys are addressing you're yeah that's you're you're solving multiple problems at once here with this. and we're made in america we're made with american hands right it's amazing i love it i mean when i when i just think about what we're doing and the size of the market and how much plastics we could repurpose and recycle and eat up i get fired up and it's it's very tough, you know, you asked a good question because when you're an innovative, disruptive company, it sounds cool. Everyone thinks, wow, that sounds so cool. Yeah, try try taking that product to market or try getting it funded. Even in a That's huge even more industry. Fun. Yeah. So talk about that. Talk about those challenges and where, you know, what you've learned and how do you are you talking to some great investors at the moment we are we are it is very very difficult to do right it is very very difficult to do it is not easy i will tell you right now i won't lie to entrepreneurs it is very difficult to do and you know it's difficult sometimes because you really want to hold on to as much as possible but you also need that cash infusion to bring this to market right so it's always a balancing act and really it gets down to finding the right people who want to be involved and we are talking with some incredible impact family offices across the united states that are are wanting to get involved and with our third party testing and the size of the market and our ability to scale quickly we, we plan to start shipping Q1 2022. We've, we've already tested with some of the top Fortune 500 companies in America. We've tested with Coast Guard, DOD. I think we're going to make a large, large impact with a recycled, repurposed product that is as good, if not better, than our leading competitors. But financing is really difficult. And I'll tell you, it would be really great for our government to stop all the red tape, get all the middle management out, and make funds available for innovative, disruptive companies. Because you know what? I believe the taxpayers would put their money forward to help our world be a better place for our children. And there's too much red tape, you know. A company can't last, last three years waiting for an SBA to come through. Some of these companies are going to go and some of them are going to fail. But I think people would be more interested in funding these type of com these companies and having the government help us do it than, than you know, sitting around for two or three years hoping, our money, hoping money comes in. When, when you're disruptive and you're innovative, it's such a risk, it's not even funny. And most funders don't even want to touch you. They don't even, even want to talk to you, right? And that's the toughest part of being innovative and disruptive and all those cool, wor cool words that are out there. So you're saying it sounds glamorous to be disruptive, but it's, it's a challenge. And, you know, we, we talk a lot 
lately, I'm hearing more and more about investment and people trying to funnel that investment into ocean technologies like yours, things that can really make a difference. I'm sure there's a call to action. What you're saying here is getting policy and and government to help speed up the funding, cut through the red yes. tape. I mean, I think you bring this optimistic and innovative solution to the table. Um, what what would you say they can do or people in general? What kind of call to action would you would you give them to help? Well, I was a speaker at Ocean Pact in Portugal a couple of years ago. I think you were there. And you know, you hear, you know, it was most of the countries of the world and leading politicians up there talking about all the problems and then promising all the billions and billions of dollars that they're going to put in to help fix our oceans. You know, if the most important resource we have in the world are our oceans. If our oceans die, we all die. It's really simple. It truly is. The ocean is the most important resource on the planet, period. And we can do it. We can make it healthier. We can we can find innovative products and disruptive products and better ways to manage the ocean and help it thrive. But I sat there and I talked to all those politicians and I said, you know, it's interesting to hear all you guys promising all these billions and billions of dollars. Have any of you ever tried to access those billions and billions of dollars? Good luck. Good luck. It's not going to the right people. It's not easy to access. And a young company that's doing something disruptive doesn't have three years to wait and deal with all the red tape. It needs to happen quickly, and they need to have at-risk money to do it. Now, if you're a private investor, and there are great companies, really family offices, very wealthy families that are putting more money into impact investing. But the long and short of it is, is they want to return, period. Uh, they don't really want to risk their money. They want to get into something that's probably going to give them a good return on their family office so it can keep going and helping others, which I totally agree with. So it's that time frame of being innovative, being disruptive, that first three years of all the risk, that's where the money's needed. And then another round of money when you go to, you know, to market and you need to inventory your product, right? And so there's a couple different rounds that go along. But when you're doing a product like this or products like this, it's definitely a lot riskier. And governments around the world should be coming in and giving quick access to companies that are looking to develop new technologies, new innovative products, you know, new products that are recycled or better for the world or better for the oceans to make our world thrive. And, and you know, look, we, we want all the children of the world to eat right. We want our world to be a better place for generations to come. And there are real people out there that, are trying to make that happen, right? We know all the problems. Let's let's start talking about solutions and let's start funding them. Exactly. Well, I 
I got to tell you, every time you say something, I, I think of more questions. I want to know where you're getting the plastic that you're using to make the sorbents and who you're talking to and partnering with. But I, I think the truth is I'm going to have to have you back um, when I get this podcast really rolling. But so I, before we wrap up, I, I would say, why don't you give your kind of elevator pitch about EarthWise? Like what really differentiates it and, and your product and your efforts? So you can find us at earthwisesorbents.com, right? We make a product that cleans up oils, oil and chemicals in the water on land. We make a product that manufacturers have to have on site. We make all of this product out of recycled, repurposed polypropylene plastics we also make a product out of the waste of our surfboard foam dust. And our products are as good, if not better, than all of our leading competitors that don't use recycled product. And we're cost competitive with all of them. So we can help the world change and make the world a better place by recycling and repurposing plastics and getting rid of them. And I think when I by ending this, I would say we have a full life cycle of our products. When we pick it up from either recycled plastics or we recycled pellets and we make our product out of that, it gets used, it picks up chemicals and oil and water. The products, once they are used, are sent to hazmat facilities. The product is put into incinerators to create clean electricity. And the potash that is left in the bottom of these incinerators, which is very little, is given to asphalt and concrete companies to help as a binding agent and to help soak up oil and water that's in asphalt and in concrete. So it's a full life cycle. So by buying our product today and tomorrow and starting this you know, coming year, you're really helping the world in a much better way to clean up oil and chemical spills. And um, yeah, that's who we are, earthwisesorbents.com. I'm loving that, that uh, circular economy side of things from beginning to end or, or from middle to middle. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorite parts. That's I'm sure that's taken you so much work to get lined up and put together, Jimmy. So huge, huge commendation for all that work you've put in. I I get really excited about learning about these innovative ways people like you are coming up to address the problems, problems of plastic and, and oil spills. I think getting people to think about the things that they don't usually have time for, don't, you know, really notice are happening. It, people's lives are bu busy and and just taking a moment to to learn about something like this is a great way to not focus on the doom and gloom of what's going on, but the solutions that are out there. So, yeah. Um, thank well, you're in Texas. You're in Texas, right? It's one of the leading generators of oil and petroleum in our country. Sure. Right? If we just took Texas and they used our sorbents, imagine what that how much product that we could eat up of plastic. If we if Texas just bought our product, 
let's just say for instance, we would make a huge chunk into cleaning up polypropylene plastics that are usually going to the landfill. Yeah, I'm sure there's no shortage of, of source material for you either, right? You're not- oh, it's the number I saw the other day was disgusting in a way, but also exciting for me because I had to get back to an investor and say, here's the number. It's like 85 million tons a year is generated. I, I don't know the exact number, so don't quote me, but it's massive, massive. I mean, there's no way. There's no way we could eat up that much, but you know, um, I'm I'm we're going to be talking to DoD. I, I've broached a subject with DoD about creating DoD. DoD is amazing. They they actually they actually recycle a lot of product that they use, and they sort it and stuff. So, the, one of our objectives is to work with them and recycle all the polypropylene that DoD uses right on site. And, and create the chips that we need to make our product on site. They're definitely so. under a lot of scrutiny, the Department of Defense and other um, government entities, you know, to be more sustainable. There's a huge push. And you're helping right now amplify that message. Um, yeah. And the we- message of other small companies and innovative companies like yours to, to bring that disruptive tech and make people know that it's out there. Um, You're right. And there are great companies. One such company is out of Texas and their name is Caterpillar. And they have two 1 million square foot facilities and they use a lot of oil to make those big machines. A lot of hydraulic fluids, a lot of, a lot of. And um, they're a great company and they didn't know us from anybody and they were willing to test with us and work with us and help us along the way. But they're looking for better ways to be more sustainable and help the world. And I believe Caterpillar will be one of our largest clients in the future. And there's a great company out of Texas that we all know of. Grew up with Tonka toys that were Caterpillar. Um, and there, you know, a, there's a lot of companies in America that are striving to be more sustainable. And we have a product that can help them. So I hope that's the future of America and the world. I love it, Jimmy. That's exactly it. So there's opportunity here in oil and gas and construction and firefighting and safety and medical and you've got this product that's a small piece of the puzzle so thank you thank you for being here and um talking about it because again you create when when someone listens and hears about your product it kind of creates a ripple effect you know we're making waves of our own telling having them tell other people and maybe it'll get to the to all the companies, Caterpillar included, everybody that's there to, to use your product. So um, really appreciate you and all the work that you're doing. I hope I can have you back again soon. Thank you for listening to the Wavemakers podcast here on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I really hope everybody enjoyed the show. Please write me, follow Lady Blue Tech on Instagram. Give me some feedback. Um, And tune in next month where we continue our journey into this blue tech frontier.